welcome to the Ether Review. I'm your host, Arthur Falls. The Ether Review is a podcast about the applications of blockchain technology, from big business to governments to the software that powers our cars. This new iteration of the internet affects every part of our lives. By speaking to the people who work in this emerging field, we aim to decrypt this new technology and distribute the future that is already here. The Ether Review is sponsored by Consensus Systems, a blockchain venture production studio that uses Ethereum technology to build decentralized applications. To find out more, visit consensus.net. That's C-O-N-S-E-N-S-Y-S dot net. Or for cutting-edge commentary on the blockchain and decentralization space, check out consensusmedia.net. Today on the Ether Review, I'm joined by Luca Mueller and Diane Sheppers of the Swiss law firm MME, who is famous for running the Ethereum crowd sale. So thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. Arthur. Obviously, you guys have done a whole lot more since Ethereum launched. Can you give our audience a bit of an overview of what you've been up to and how things have progressed and evolved in the meantime? Oh, yes, we're happy to do that. The launch of Ethereum as the first token sale in the world was like the genesis start of our blockchain-related work. So first we had, let's say, a round of startups finding a way in this regulatory environment. Our first advice area was to find out whether or not they fall under, let's say, exchange or money transmitter regulations. Then we had discussions about, you know, how we can structure funding. So we had the first token generating events out of Switzerland. Then it came more and more. So we have presently about 60 pending projects. We did about 25 token generating events. What we now experience is what we call a second wave of clients. And the second wave of clients is the old economy finding ways that can enter into the blockchain world. So that's what we do now. We have insurance companies, we have banks exploring the way how they can implement blockchain-based accounts. So we would have never thought about what kind of wave of work is now exploding over our heads. So to begin with, what is the nature of anti-money transmission regulation and how does one structure a tokenization event in such a way that it does not fall under those regulations? You see, Switzerland has a, whatever is under money transmittance or exchange service is under the AML regulation. Few professionally money transmits and or exchange can be crypto crypto or crypto into fiat then you fall under the regulation. The token generating event as a sometimes a donation or let's say a kind of investment type does not fall under Swiss law under the anti-money laundering legislation. Our regulation is slightly different here in Switzerland. We do regulate the gateway functions, which are the money transmittance and exchange functions. They are focused on the exchange from fiat into digital and digital into fiat. So if you actually participate in a token generating event, you have already been entered into the digital sphere. So 
That's why we do not regulate a participation in a token generating event under the anti-money laundering legislation. That's the change part, the money transmitting part. The security part is a little bit different. The securities issue is huge in the States right now. And I've just spoken to Ryan Zura and the guys from Protocol Labs who have come up with the SAFT, the... Yeah, it's it's actually, I think, a simple agreement, agreement for, for token financing. Yeah. So something like this, you know, it's... We have two different concepts, you know, in the US and I would say in the continental Europe, rest of the world approach. In the US, you have this investor interest approach. So whenever there is a kind of investor interest or investment interest behind whatever you do, you're likely to fall under the SEC regulations and it could be considered as a security. So in a way, the test is a little bit vague. So it's not really clear or it is very likely that however you look at it, because you know, a lot of things or a lot of investments, a lot of even donations could have an investor motivation. So from a definition side, it makes an investment insecure. In addition, you have different state laws and you have different policies how you apply the Howey test in order to define whether or not it falls under the security regulations or not. And that makes it difficult to decide whether or not your token you generate is now falling under securities law or not. In Switzerland, on the other side, is much more formalistic. And that's the reason why the assessment is easier. And it actually provides you more legal certainty. And I think this is the advantage we have in our uh, jurisdictional environment. So does this allow you to still accept funds from the US? That's a good question. If we do a token generating event, we always consult our US legal team. And there are some token generating events, which we would say, okay, we might exclude U.S. residents or U.S. national, U.S. investors. I've heard a lot of startups talk about these donation rounds. And I always thought that that was to delineate a difference between what they were doing and what might be considered a security under the Howey test. But in fact, that's to comply with money transmission and AML legislation. Is not solved yet, especially in the US. In Switzerland, it's clear, but in the US, I heard there are some discussions. And the difference is the recipients, you know, the foundation type you have in Switzerland is much more limited than in the US. So in the US, you can have beneficiaries in a foundation structure. In Switzerland, this is impossible. So if you donate something to a foundation, it's in the foundation. There are no beneficiaries at all. The only way how you can spend the funds collected by the foundation is if you spend it according or use it according to the purpose defined in the foundation deed. And this is a mandatory audit. And in addition, you have an annual supervision by the federal authority. So it's really controlled how you spend the funds. That's the reason why you cannot use a foundation structure for transmitting funds. The foundation receives the funds and then it is actually also the only beneficial owner of the funds and it can only use the funds according to the purpose controlled by an audit company and by a supervisory authority. So you see the concept is different.
In the US, you can have a beneficiary. So you can be possible that the foundation is collecting the funds and is then transmitting the funds to a beneficiary. So that's the difference. Okay, I have another question about this because what I'm beginning to understand is that in Switzerland, you can donate to a foundation and you cannot be a beneficiary of it. But if that foundation is to conduct activities which you are to profit from directly, that's still legal and that's not a breach of your local regulations. If it's within the purpose of the foundation, then you can do it. So it really depends how careful you draft the deed of the foundation. Because the foundation, it's quite, they call quite open. You can do a lot of things. You know, you can support whatever you want or you can pursue whatever purpose as long as it's not illegal and immoral. You can do a lot of things. So actually, but it really depends how carefully you draft your purpose in the foundation because the audit company and the supervisory authority will check your activity against the purpose you have given yourself. How does this compare to systems in other jurisdictions and how does it stack up legally, this kind of activity? Is it possible to operate safely in another nation using this kind of structure in Switzerland? I mean, the foundation structure is one structure. It's not for every token generating event. I would advise you to set up a foundation. A foundation is can have a purpose if you issue a protocol token, a native token, for which you want to have a decentralized control without any stakeholders involved and sufficient funding to further develop advocates and support such a protocol, then I would advise you to have a foundation structure. Now, regarding the, let's say, multi-jurisdictional reach and impact, so what we advise, there are two sides of the coin. One is how you structure a token-generating event. So... This is more like, are you allowed to distribute a token in this country? Are you allowed to actually accept donations from another country? This is one field of regulatory discussion. The other field of regulatory discussion, which has also a multi-jurisdictional impact, is the token you create. And our focus here is we are now in a process to create standards, which we call blockchain crypto property standards, BCP standards, because, you know, every token you generate is a blockchain crypto property. Every token you generate has a different functionality. Depending on the functionality, the qualification of a BCP is different. And if we create the best legal and technical quality BCP, we can ensure that such a token generated out of Switzerland will be listable, sellable, distributable, tradable all over the world. So for us, you know, being already in the space very early in this token generating space, we see now a second level of development, setting up standards for tokens. I know we've got Diane on the line as well, Anne. So what's your involvement with this, Diane? I am in charge of the full onboarding and the intake of each new project. So the more complex ones I am continuously involved in, both from a legal and a managerial perspective. So how do you triage these projects into their different solution spaces? Yeah, we have obviously our internal assessment processes. There is a variety of 
typical solutions in the foundation structure, as Luca just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And some of the projects are clearly able to choose for either of the structures and we take them through the basic questions and followed by a workshop in which we make final decisions on what is really the best way to move ahead for the respective project. Absolutely. And that's another aspect of this BCP standards. We have now developed a quality checklist for token generating projects. So we actually have a tick box which you go through to qualify the token generating events. And we will further enrich this now with our quality standards on the tokens which we want to generate. Yes. We we will issue this paper in August. Yeah, and that entire process is tailored to the specific requirements of the core team of the project, also relating to which country are they from, what are the other entities involved. Uh, So it's really a tailor-made approach. And, you know, Arthur, it's... People often talk about token generating event, but there are so many aspects involved, you know, because you have a team, as Diane said, you have a development team working all over the world. You have open source license, which you have to look at. You have to qualify the token. You have to also qualify the token issuance based on a tax level. What are the tax impacts? Is the token providing any service functions? Do we have a VAT impact? What is the transaction flow? What is the money flow? The money flow, token economics behind it. What is the dilution process? What is the issuing amount? So there are a lot of interesting new things around these token generating events, which is not only limited to jurisdictional questions. And in addition, security. Now we are adding as well on the sales side distribution functions to add AML, investor suitability testing, sanction lists, testing, this is on the sales side, as well as auditing and governing functions on the use of the funds. So we will see a lot of developments in this space in the future. Is there anything more we should cover on that subject? But it sounds like we've done pretty well. We have one thing. We want to change the term from ICO to token generating event because ICO is misleading. With the token generating events, we have a new type of community-based funding, which I think will have a huge impact in the future and will be a solid model as well in the future. There are a lot of issues which are not solved yet, but we need to use best efforts and best face and also a self-regulatory initiative that we regulate it in a way that it will be a sustainable development. We should also go against the scam projects, which are a lot around in the market. Because for the overall community, a easy and efficient funding system would further enhance the overall development of such a blockchain community. It's interesting you use the term token generation event. Well, this isn't associated with consensus in any way, this podcast. At consensus, the term we've been using is token launch. The two terms seem to be relatively compatible. uh... True. Yeah, it's the same. So now we've nailed that down, there's the second wave of token generation events that you've described. Can you outline who are these new clients and what has drawn them to this mechanism? Yeah, we have, uh, now we have existing tech companies. They would like to explore the possibility that they could issue token based on, let's say they could implement a token financing system in their already existing legal structure. I give you an example. 
to tokenize their shares. So it's a mixture between issuing a certificate on the blockchain as well as a smart share or issuing new structured participation into already existing equity and or issuing a bond-like token for a financing of their activities and or let's say an just limited project financing for them but tokenized so we had the first wave was actually we create a new company environment for them, a legal structure, foundations, for example. And now we have the next wave, already existing company exploring the possibility to use tokens for financing their activities. This new wave in the US, this is clearly security. Definitely. I mean, there's no, no discussion about it. We really have then to differentiate it. And there is no open discussion whether or not they would qualify as a security in the US. In Switzerland, we still would have a a little bit uh, room to not qualify them as security, but mostly they will be security. But it doesn't really matter. Then they are security, then we treat them as a security, and we use the efficiency of the blockchain system to create and design a new way of efficient funding. This is pretty cool because you guys were obviously were there right at the start, and now you're taking this model and applying it to existing problems beyond just... What has been for a while, this wild west of token funding events. So that's pretty cool. Let's look a bit at why Switzerland has become such an important hub for this kind of activity. You see, first is the genuine decentralized nature of our government. So what is in the technology is from a political government side already in our Swiss DNA. We are fully genetically decentralized. Secondly, we have a high legal security in an environment which you operate, let's say, on a lab style, like the blockchain technology. It's new. It's pilot. You would need as stable as possible legal jurisdiction, which Switzerland can offer. In addition, at the end of the day, whatever we do is a security issue. You need to safely store something. Here again, Switzerland has advantages. And then finally... From a tax perspective, you know, if you compare all the countries around the world, Switzerland has no debts or hardly any debt. So we have a room of maneuver in actually fixing our tax rates. We are not a tax haven. We are just an efficient tax country. So if you compare, for example, VAT, we have 8% compared to 19 in the European area. We have between 12 to 15% corporate tax. In addition, very low income tax for people working here. We are multilingual in the heart of Europe, already a globally developed financial market, financial industry, which is seeking new ways to invent themselves. It's a good breeding ground for these kind of activities. The disadvantage of Switzerland is, you know, living prices here is really very expensive. Very expensive. So tell us a bit about Crypto Valley. This is the strange new notion that has emerged. We're seeing a new wave of innovation coming in the internet space. And rather than happening in Palo Alto, it's happening in other jurisdictions. Well, I should say other other geographical areas, but jurisdiction is really the differentiator here. So tell us a bit about how Crypto Valley emerged. Crypto Valley emerged with Ethereum. 
Ethereum was the first attractive player in the crypto valley and attracted a lot of similar companies trying to develop their products or their ideas on the Ethereum platform. Together with this development, we had an influx of gateway providers, exchangers, and now other protocols entering into the same jurisdictional space. So we see the disadvantage of this high cost to develop business in, in Switzerland. And that's the reason why we started an initiative to mitigate these disadvantages in a way that we create a crypto valley movement, which helps all the startups and the companies to efficiently do business out of Switzerland. You know, and crypto valley is not like it started in Zug and Zurich, so it has a geographical impact, but it should be understood a bit more broader in a way that Crypto Valley should be the infrastructural support for companies active in the space. And what we do now is we, we rent close to 2,000 square meters, which will be supported and financed by different companies, and we will give this space or leave this space for um, other companies so that they can actually breed there, they can develop there, and they can actually do that on reduced cost basis. A, a crypto hub, recreating a like crypto a, hub. Yeah, like a crypto hub, hub. And that's one logistical element of the Crypto Valley. And the Crypto Valley Association, which was actually founded this year, they further support this activity with educational events, with, uh, with social events, with publications. Presentation of projects through the community. Absolutely. Liaise with the, with the governments, you know, and all this kind of very important stuff as well. So they're building now an environment. As far as my education goes, I don't think I can carry this conversation too much further in a meaningful direction that can help the rest of the world understand how this affects them. Mostly due to my lack of training, of legal training. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, but what I am doing right now is creating a lot of content around the legal issues in the space. And so what I'd like to do is I'll get the community to listen to it and assemble some questions. Maybe we can get back together and have another discussion. Absolutely, Arthur. Of course. I mean, we, are, we will happy because we will proceed now in developing our concepts in auditing and do quality checks for token generating event project. That's one thing. And the other thing is the standardization of blockchain crypto property, which could be an interesting topic to talk, to talk about because this is then real law and real uh, jurisdictional discussion. We are now in a discussion with the financial market authority here in Switzerland because we are in the process to have the first Swiss bank accepting Bitcoin, which will be a revolution. But for that, we need to qualify the blockchain crypto property asset class. And the process will be probably finished, I hope, this week or next week. And we will hopefully, hopefully get the final paper ready by August. And then we can present each of the classes that yeah, we, absolutely. Uh, we have in mind in this classification. Yes. And I was wondering if there's anyone on you guys' team or anyone you guys can think of who writes a lot or might be interested in contributing, or I know it would be a good way to influence the rest of the legal community if you guys were regularly producing and syndicating content. Absolutely, Arthur. You know, it's this is our weak, you just, you're, you're just spot on. spot on our weak spot. We have no time to publish. And we know that we should. 
but at the moment we work 15 hours per day and we simply don't have the time not enough yeah and we just we employ now another four lawyers we are now our team will be 16 uh, lawyers and tax experts and compliance experts doing nothing else than working on blockchain projects we started with one with me you know uh, in 2014 <laughs> <laughs> and and, and now we know that we have to do that, Arthur. And we are issuing now a blockchain newsletter, a, a weekly newsletter to develop the legal community. And to it. support our standardization process. Yes, and to support stand because we, we're interested to share as much as we can because we have an interest in the community. Is there a place where you guys find good analysis on the subject and just blockchain legal issues in general? Well, look, the issue is there, is a, there are a lot of articles around, a lot of articles. But for us, they just touch what, what we already know. We are moving in a complete other space. So we want to go beyond that. We are, we are about to qualify a token as a new type of property. And this is, again, already an own analysis. Then we have a, an analysis on risk assessment. What is the risk procedure to be adopted in, within a financial institution in order to be able to trade what kind of blockchain crypto property assets? So, we are much more already advanced in a detailed legal discussion. And what you find in the space, and if you Google around legal analysis of the blockchain, it's really more like basic knowledge, which has already been issued or discussed in 2013. And I read a very, very interesting summary of the blockchain technology and the legal relevance of it already in 2013, which was issued by a university in the US. Really a good one. And still, it's for me, it's one of the leading documentation okay well that's mildly disheartening but it also just you know shows the need for better analysis and better resources so and you as i said you know you hit the weak spot all right well thanks a bunch for joining me guys and i look forward to talking to you again in the not too distant future very good arthur thank you very thank much thank you arthur learn more about mme at mme.ch This has been the Ether Review. Visit etherreview.info for more episodes, email contact at etherreview.info or follow us on Twitter at etherreview. Ether